if you will, open up your Bibles to John 13. And so if you've been here, you know, through the last part of the summer, something had been real strong and God put in my spirit and I shared called a new day and some principles about things as God changes things, does some things. And uh, so we're going to change, head a different direction today. And this was our series before for four weeks, a new day. And um, it really is for the whole church, but also for individuals in the church. And so today I'm going to talk about a new way for a new day. When you come into a new day, you know, in the Bible even, there were new ways things were done. And so right here in John 13, 1, and so we're going to pick up here in the first verse. We're going to read a couple of verses. And uh, what's interesting about these chapters here, John 13, John 14, John 15 and 17, these four chapters right here uh, were at the end of Jesus's ministry. He had come right to the end and he was about to leave. And really what he does in the next four chapters is set up a new structure of life, existence, ways of ministry, ways of serving, and things, you know, like doctrine that would come into effect uh, after he left, and he was basically saying, I'm leaving, this is the new way of doing life. And in one sense, you could say it like this, this way of life is the way that we're all to live until he returns. And so he starts off here in verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover. So the Passover was when the children of Israel were brought up out of Egypt and right before they left. I mean right before they left. And that's important. Uh, I mean like right before. I mean right then they sacrificed an animal, a lamb, put the blood on their door that they were marked by the lamb. Jesus now is the lamb. And then the death angel came through and killed all the firstborn, and that was the release of them into their new day. And then they were going to walk in this new day, and they were going to walk with a new person guiding them. No longer was the Pharaoh going to guide them. There was going to be a new shepherd, and his name was Moses, and he had a heart of a shepherd. We know he trained for years, and then all of a sudden, bam, he entered into it, and off he went. And he led these people. So now it's interesting. This is going to be a new day, but not for the children of Israel coming out of Egypt, but for the church. The church is going to come into existence. There's going to be massive change from the three and a half years that they had been being trained. And we'll touch on that in a minute. So now this Passover is right here, and Jesus is going to be killed as the new Passover lamb. The old one was a picture waiting for the perfect lamb, who is Jesus, who would take away the sins of the world. And uh, here he is, and um, his hour, it says Jesus knew that his hour had come. And it's interesting, you know, because Jesus is the Passover lamb, and he's the one who washes away our sins and takes away the sin of the world. Anybody who comes to Jesus gets that. And so here's this Passover meal that's there 
that is to be a reminder of their protection, their cleansing, their covenant with God. And here Jesus is right here. And when Jesus knew his hour had come that he should depart from this world and go to the Father, having loved those or his, his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So he's at the end. That didn't mean he quit loving him when he got to heaven, but he was there with him. And, uh, you know, if you knew you were about to leave your kids behind or you were going to send them off, I mean, my thought would be is I've trained them. Now I'm going to give some final words. I hope. And it, hopefully it's not get out of here and don't let the door hit you on the way out. Right? You're going to want to help them. And so here he is knowing, I'm out of here. He was perceiving this. He knew it by God. He knew because the Lord showed him he would have to die as a sacrificial lamb for the sins of the world. And so he's been training him for three and a half years, verse 2 says. And supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him or betray Jesus. Jesus knowing. Isn't it interesting? He keeps knowing stuff. That the Father had given all things into his hands, and he knew this, that he had come from God, and he knew that he was going to God. He rose from supper, and verse 4 goes on to talk about some things. So we see here, he is knowing this is a transition time. And what he's going to do now is he's going to do certain things, teach certain things, and he's going to use terms as we read further on, not today, but later on. In that day, you will ask nothing in my name. In that day, and he starts changing the structure of life for this new day. And so here in verse 4, we're going to begin reading, and there's two things I want to look at today. And so I'm going to read, uh, the first thing is, we'll read from verse 4 to verse 10. So he rose from supper, and he laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. Now, there is interest here to me that he gives all this detail that he's doing this himself. Because when they went for the Passover, he sent a couple of the disciples and said, you go prepare it. But this, nobody's preparing. He himself is doing it all. And that's important for what we're about to read. And verse 5, so he said, after he had poured the water into the basin, he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded or, you know, was around his waist. And it says, then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? This isn't like just are you, this is like are you, no you're not. Jesus is doing something, and Peter said, you're not doing that to me. And verse 7 says, and Jesus answered and said to him, what I'm doing you do not understand now. 
but you will know after this. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. That's an admirable statement, isn't it? I mean, you're the Lord. (laughs) You're the Savior. We know you came from God. I'm not letting you stoop to do this. No way. It's my way. I won't allow this. And he said, Peter, Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered and said, if I do not wash your feet, you have no part with me. Oh. Serious? I mean, I guarantee you, if you're already been taught and knowing stuff about Jesus, you've been with him for three and a half years, and he said, if I don't do this one thing, you have no place with me. I guarantee you, I'd be adjusting my attitude like that. I'd have a total change. And Peter said to him, uh, you know, after he said, you shall never wash my feet. Then verse 9 says, then Simon Peter uh, said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. In other words, hey, I'll t- you can give me a shower. Just point that right here. <laughs> Toss it on me. Whatever it takes. He's totally adjusting. But he said, what I'm doing, you don't even understand. And he said, and if you don't let me do this for you, you don't even have a place with me. And Jesus said to him, and he Peter was one side of the pendulum first, never. Then he swings to, oh, do it all. Then Jesus swings him right into the middle and says, in verse 10, he said, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. Meaning, he knew Judas was going to betray him, never get the opportunity to receive Christ as his Savior and Lord before he killed himself. And he said, not all of you are clean, but he said, it only takes this one thing and you're completely clean. What was Jesus basically saying? He was saying, you're going to have to submit to me and to submit to my way if you're ever going to be clean. That was one thing he was saying here. Jesus was the Lamb of God, the only way that you could. How many people say, no, no, Lord, uh, you know, I've been so bad, I'll work hard to get my life right, get it in order, and, and then I'll be accepted by you. You know, I tried that before I resubmitted my life to the Lord in 1985. I tried to straighten up my life and tried and tried and found out this is not working, and I'm not getting to the level where my inward parts are knowing I'm good. And finally, I just said, I can't do this, Lord. Well, that's what he was waiting for the whole time. But Peter was not going to submit to the way of the Lord. And Jesus was basically saying to humanity, if you want to be clean, you're going to have to submit to my way. And you're going to have to realize I'm the one who does the work, not you. And if you don't submit to me the work I would do to clean you, and I don't have to give you a full bath, but you just have to submit to my way, you'll be clean. How many people uh, say, well, I'm good enough. I work hard. I do all these things. God will have to accept me. That's not his way. That's maybe me saying, you don't need to touch me, Lord. I'll do it myself. 
Or the other side is, you know, working so much for it or trying to do good, whatever, or just God will take you the way you are. Well, no, you got to come the way he wants you, and you have to submit to Jesus. You have to receive him as your Savior, as your Lord. And so he's setting in order a new way of life that he's going to imprint into them, and he's even further going to teach them this very truth in the next chapter. And he's going to make statements like, I am the only way. I am not a truth, I am flat out the truth. And I'm not just a way to have life, I am the life. And if you don't have me, you don't have life. So think about it, he basically is saying here, if you'll submit to me, you can have all this. And Peter said no, then he realized I'm making a bad choice, do it all. And Jesus said no, you just have to submit to my way and it'll do the work. And so we see that's the first thing. But he goes on to explain another thing. And this is where maybe we'll spend a little bit of time. uh, Because to me, this really has to do with where we're going as a church. Where they were going as followers at that time. Really, they were not mainstream They had a voice, but things were about to change dramatically. And so we're going to pick this up in verse 12 and look at the second thing. So the first thing is, Jesus is the only way you can be cleaned. Number two is here in verse 12. And this is fascinating because he knows he's departing. He knows it's over. The Passover meal that they're eating He's going to die within days. So these are the last teachings, and he throws this one in right at the beginning. And there's a reason, because Jesus knew what was coming after he died. After this, he knew what was coming. He knew they had to be prepared because there were going to be all kinds of challenges, and he wasn't personally going to be here to say, guys, guys, because he did that. Now, his spirit would, and he talks about that later, but he wanted to make sure they had this planted as a foundational thing because of where they were going. And I find this pretty awesome. Verse 12, it says, So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments or his outer garments, and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? Now, the first thing he said, you're not going to totally understand this right now, but later you will. Here he asked, do you know what I did? Do you you understand what's going on here? He said, you call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. In other words, we'd say this, you call me this, and you say I'm a teacher, and you say I'm the Lord, um, that's the right answer. You're saying the correct thing. I am the teacher. I am the Lord. I'm above all you guys. That's not prideful. It's reality. If somebody comes in and says, hey, I'm the new teacher in school. I'm going to be teaching this class, and the students will lift up their voice, 
He's so prideful coming in here acting like he's the te- he is the teacher. You know, or you come in and you get a new boss that transfers in and he said, hey, I'm the new boss, you know, my name's Fred. Oh, great, another prideful one coming in here just exalting himself. He didn't exalt himself. Somebody moved him into that position. And so when Jesus is saying right here, he said, you call me teacher, you call me Lord. He said, you say well, or that is correct. He said, for so I am. And it's okay to say something like that when, you know, hey, God is blessing me. God's blessing is on me. Oh, they're just so prideful talking about what the Lord's doing. No, everybody who's saved should be talking like that. Oh, you know, I'm just poor, and I'm just this, and I'm, you know, I don't know. Yeah, that's just how they all talked in the Bible. No, Abraham would always give the better because he knew his blessing. He just kept rising up. And if he would have said, well, you know, I just don't want to talk about the blessing of the Lord on my life right now. I want to be prideful. No, he wasn't being prideful. He's just acknowledging what God said about him. If I say I'm saved and I'm clean, that's not prideful. That's just me acknowledging what the Lord did. And so here he said, you answered right. But he was saying, you answered right by calling me teacher and Lord and ruler. But he was asking, do you know what I'm doing actually? If I then, verse 14, your Lord and teacher, the one over you, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Ushers, can you bring in the water, please? No. (laughs) No, was he teaching literal washing of feet? This has been a problem in the body because, you know, you got to have a washing your feet service. I'm okay with you just washing your feet at home. I'd preferred actually before you came here if you washed your feet. With soap. Especially if you're wearing flip-flops. That's a different sermon, though. Because, I mean, if you're going to qualify for beautiful feet, you probably ought to wash them. No, I'm kidding. Somebody said, what are you talking about? It says, how precious are the feet of those who carry, how beautiful are their feet that carry the good news. And, uh, but this is not that. He's trying to get a principle across. He said, I'm above, and here I am, the Lord the Savior, I'm here in the earth, and I'm washing your feet. Now, I'm telling you as an example that you ought to wash one another's feet. Verse 15, for I've given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Now, we know from here and from other places that what Jesus was teaching was having a servant's mentality. Jesus never tried to establish his earthly kingdom on the earth. And even the disciples would ask him at different times. And he never acted like, I am just the king, and everybody's got to bow down to me, and where are my grapes, my palm branches, and everybody just, you know, flap those things and keep me cool and do all this stuff. And no, I mean, Jesus, if you look like him, he didn't always act like a dignitary. And he was. 
And here at the end, right at the end, at the beginning of his teaching of a new way of living, he's saying, I'm giving you an example. He said, most assuredly, verse 16, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master. Well, who's the master here? Jesus. Nor is he who is sent greater than him who sent you. So we know we're sent by him. So we're not greater than him. He said, if you know these things, happy, uh, blessed are you if you do them. And what was he teaching? That we all need to maintain a servant's heart and a servant's mentality. This is important. In other words, Jesus, as he went further in ministry, didn't demand people to do everything for him. Now, he did set structure. He told people, you guys come with me to go pray. Uh, You guys wait here. You guys prepare a ship. You guys follow me. You make the people sit down. You tell them to do this. Now, I'm going to pray for you, and you go out and do this. Now, we understand he was doing that, but there was a side to him where he wasn't just self-exalting himself. And many times people tried to exalt him. And he said, why do you call me good? There's only one good, that's, that's God. Now, he was God in the flesh, but he was living like a man. And he could have tried to exalt himself. And I mean, you think about it. What did the devil do? He said, you bow down and worship me and I'll give you all this. And then they'll all be subject to you. If he had pride in himself, he would have said, yeah, that's a good idea. I need all these people bowing down to me and all this stuff being mine. But here he is at this high place, and he's still serving and not so demanding. And this is why I say to me, this is huge. Because we've been talking about a new day that's coming here in this church that's happening And people know. I mean, I ask people, raise your hands, you know, like in the evening service or, you know, in prayer. When we were talking about it last week, just asked in prayer, the people that were here, how many of you noticed when I started talking about a new day coming, that something went off on the inside of you, down here? And people, I think everybody in prayer is either Friday morning, I think, Friday morning, every one of them raised their hand. Every one of them. That they noticed. Well, if we notice a new day is coming, the context here is a new day is coming. And really, if you think about the new day, one of the predominant heads, but really all of them, was Peter. And this position that they were about to enter into was not a temporary one. When they came and, and met up with Jesus... That earthly side was very temporary. It was three-something years. It was a training period for them. This period would last the rest of their lives. This would be the new day that would last for the rest of their existence. And so he was positioning them for that. Now, anybody who's going to serve God, but I think this is pertinent for us to be refreshed, needs to know these things. And isn't it interesting, the first thing he says, I'm the only way you can be clean. The next thing is, is uh, you got to serve. You can never get so big 
you can't serve. Now, I can understand, you know, when, when you get bigger and bigger, and I understand people on TV and different stuff like that, they can't do some things. You know, somebody came to the church and uh, was in one service, sat down with Pastor Linda after and said, hey, I need 45 minutes of your time so I can share with you my revelation that I got. Um, huh? You've given us an hour to listen. Now you're going to ask us. Because people get offended at that. So what if every new person comes, demands 45 minutes, and have only been here for one service? How's that going to work? What if all those thousands that followed Jesus came for one meeting and then said, well, I'm demanding 45 minutes of your time? That would have been the end of his ministry because he would have been out of service for months trying to get all those 45 minutes taken care of. Well, they told him about the law and told him about this. That's not being a servant. That's being driven by people. We want to help people, but we can't do everything that everybody demands. You get what I'm saying? But we do need to make sure we follow the Lord. Why? Why? Why this servant's mentality? Well, here's an interesting thing. What really was going to happen within days? Literally days and weeks because of the time of until Pentecost and the outpouring of the Spirit, but days and weeks... To, just days and weeks ahead, what was about to happen from this teaching? There was 70 and 12, and we know one of them was Judas, and he fell, and another one took his place. And then there were hundreds more who had been following Jesus for a long period of time, that three years, and he had commissioned 70 of them to do work and commissioned the 12 and now 11 and then back to 12 eventually. And uh, he had commissioned them, but he had called them. But they had not entered into their call yet. They had not entered into their call yet. Peter at this time had not entered into his call. John had not entered into his call. This new day that he is telling them to get ready for, they are about to go from being people out here to being pillars in the church. And I'll tell you what, money can corrupt, position can corrupt, high places can corrupt if there's something that can be corrupted in you. So he was trying to do the last tweaks, you know, like when they put the tires on your car, you know, certain rims, they'll tell you, if you put new rims on after you've driven it this certain amount, just come back and we're going to give one last crank so they don't come off later. Why do they do that? Because they know you need maybe a little adjustment before you carry out the life of these tires. And so right before, he's like, guys, here's the first thing. Why? Because they were about to move from people that are out here serving to leadership. This group right here was about to become preeminent. And boy, you had times in the book of Acts after they became preeminent where just money started coming in. And they were willing to distribute and do different things, but they were careful not to exalt themselves 
And there were times that people tried to rip their clothes off, you know, rip their clothes and say, these are gods that have come here. And they could have said, well, you know, just a little bit. We got God in us. They said, no, we're like you. Wonder if these things were lodged in them. Wonder if these things were passed on to the church. Wonder if we could use a dose of them again. But they were about to go from the bottom to the top. They were about to go from a dream that was God-given to a reality of that dream, whether they like it or not. Sorry to rehash this for the person that's here, but we talked about a person who, they're not in here right now, that was pregnant. They were about ready to give birth, and then all of a sudden the time came, and they started going into labor. They said, I want to wait. Um, You can't do that. I want to do this later. Yeah, yeah for six, six months, eight months, seven months, nine, now we're nine months, and got to get this done, and it's got to be here, and now all of a sudden it's happening, and whoa, 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 wait just a minute. No, there's no, no, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait just a minute, business, ready or not. I just hold this off, you know, I was thinking maybe catch an afternoon matinee. No, it's now. A new position is coming. You know, you're no longer pregnant lady. You are mom, and there are new demands. And they had this dream that came from a seed of a child, and now they're about to have the child. Well, there are other dreams, and Peter was one of them. All of them were called. They had a future dream. None of them had entered in, and now they're about to, and they're not just about to enter in. They're about to go up to the top. And so Peter, you know, has called years before. He said, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. That hadn't happened. But I'll tell you what, you become a Hollywood person, and not all of them are like this, but man, that power, many times they just think they're better than everybody. And the only thing that changed was the money. I mean, hey, just because somebody makes $30 million a year to throw a ball into a hoop does not mean they're, I don't know where we get this idea that they're a role model, that they're thinking right, that we should follow them. But the Bible warned us people with money are heard, people that don't have money aren't heard. But does money make character? No. So we should at least be wise to know that some people who have money may have character and may have wisdom and may have knowledge, and others may not. But how many times do those people think they're above the law and they're above this and everybody's got to serve them? Now, I understand When you're doing certain things and you get to a certain level, you do need people working for you, helping you to make it come to pass. Because even Jesus couldn't make it come to pass by himself. You with me? And so, here Peter has this dream. And when I say a dream, he had a call. It was divine. He didn't just make this up. I got a dream. I wrote it on a napkin one night when I was at the fish and chip place down the street. No, this was God-given, and what's interesting, he was being trained and being trained and being trained and being trained. 
and now he's about to enter into it. And when he's about to enter into it, what does he say? Now listen up. You guys are going to be exalted to this high position, but you got to remember to be a servant. you got to maintain a right attitude. God was going to use his past experience of three and a half years with Jesus and his life before, even the years before that, to help him do the next phase that was to last the rest of his life, which was he used to catch fish, now you're going to catch men. Isn't it interesting that Jesus said, throw your nets on the other side. Well, who's the fisherman here, Peter or Jesus? When Jesus spoke to him, he realized and even answered back kind of like, hey, man, I already told, you know, we've, we already did that. Okay, nevertheless, at your word, I'll do this. Throw it over here. So he does it, and it works. And he submits, but I'll tell you what, I guarantee you later on in Peter's life, when he went to cast out the gospel net, there were times that maybe God said, don't preach here. We know that with Paul and different ones. Go over here and preach here. And he threw out the net and got a big catch. And there were places that they were told, don't go there, go here. So now he's using the spiritual net method, follow the Lord in this new day. But here's what really was happening. All this stuff that had been spoken, that they had been trained for, was now coming to pass. And right in the middle of it, right at the beginning, before Jesus got into how to do this whole thing when I'm gone, he said, uh, you're going to be moving up the ladder, guys. And I'm an example. You've got to be a servant. You can't get so big and self-exalted in your mind. You have to maintain a servant's mentality. And like I said, that doesn't mean I'm going to be driven by everybody else. A servant is driven by a master, not by everybody. You with me? And sometimes people will demand of you what cannot be given by you or should not. And if you're not careful, you think, well, I've got to be the servant of all. That doesn't mean I'm giving everybody the opportunity to tell me what to do. You with me? Somebody might think, well, they're just not a servant. No, but we are servants but we're to serve the Lord and do His things. We're to plug in, never think we're too big. You know, I saw a gale walking across the parking lot today, and I went like this in the car. I went, yes. You say, why? Because she's walking across the parking lot? Well, I didn't go, yeah, for the rest of you that walked across the parking lot. Yeah, they're walking across the parking lot. She picked up a cup or some kind of trash. And I pick up stuff all the time when I'm walking in. And I did it when I was at the church when I was the assistant pastor or the youth pastor. And I'd pick up little things because I thought, hey, you people, I walk past that cup, go grab that cup. Now, if my hands were full, I would say, hey, could you go grab that? But I have no problem picking up something. Well, you know me, I'm too big for that now. Eee. Why are these things important? Because they keep you steady. Because what did Satan do? He got so caught up in himself. He said, I'm so beautiful. I'm so this. I'm so that. He had all these musical instruments and rubies in him. And he, he just got self-exalted. And he said, I'm so good. I'm going to take the place of God. And what's wild, this is fascinating to me. 
he was so good at telling and maybe had so much power from God that he was able to deceive a third of the angels of heaven. They were willing to go with him. So maybe they thought, this guy's got enough power to overthrow God. He was no longer willing to serve. He was wanting to rule. And Jesus said this, and we'll close here in Mark 10. It's not about trying to rule. How many people are not satisfied where they're at? You know, I'm called to the ministry. How come I'm doing the soundboard? I'm called to the ministry. How come I'm working in children's? I'm called to the ministry. How come I'm doing this? How come I'm working in the parking lot? How come I'm a greeter? How come I'm only singing? How come I'm doing this? Those are good places and positions. These guys could have said that. I don't know, maybe three years in. Hey, Jesus, you know, I'm called to the ministry here. When am I going to get out itinerating, you know, and stuff like that? Get out, start preaching, you know. You personally gave me a word and said, from now on, you're going to catch men. I haven't caught nobody. What's the deal? I had this call in me from a child. Then I met you and I thought, okay, great. I'm just going to be moving right on into this position. And here we are, year, two, three years later. Nothing's changed. But he was in a good place. And if he just stayed faithful, all of a sudden the tables were going to turn. And so Mark 10, it says this. And at the point we were reading, real fast. Real soon. Right? John 13, I mean really, really fast. I mean, think about it. I don't mean like from now to the end of the year fast. I mean real fast. And so here it says in Mark 10, verse 43, Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires, because he talked about how in the world people try to push to get to the top. And he said, this is not how it's going to be with you. And so what he was teaching there over in John was after this, or at the same time, and he's trying to convey, you know, right in that time, this thought. He said, yet it shall not be so among you. So he's pushing this point, because shortly after we know what he taught. But whoever desires to become great among you. How many of you want to enter into your position? How many want to stay in your position that's appointed by God? He said, then the best thing you can do is push everybody down who's around you and put their candle out because it'll make yours burn brighter. Amen. No. Whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. Say what? There is just some kind of substance in that. There's something in that that is not in being the ruler and I'm the boss. There is some kind of substance in this because Jesus said greatness is contained in this. But how many people don't like to have that action, that in them? You with me? 
I remember all the years that I would do stuff late at night down at the church. I worked all day, then did stuff for youth ministry, and then I'd go down and do stuff at night, you know, if they needed this change, this done. And I was doing all this stuff. And I remember, you know who else was there? Not a man, not one man. But you know who else was with me? How many got a guess? Somebody said, God was with you. Yeah, the devil showed up many a night. Oh, he did. You say, how do you know it was the devil? Because you know him. He comes with a pitchfork. He has red horns. He's got a long tail with a little pointy thing on the end. If you're not sure, just go get liverwurst at the store, and there's a little picture of him on there. You'll go, oh, that's the devil. I've been waiting for you. No, that's not what he looked like. He would just come and get on your shoulder there, and he'd say, why are you vacuuming? You know you're called to ministry. What are you doing this for? Nobody else is here. And you know what I said? I took him, put him in my arm, and started petting him and said, you're right. Oh, and he started purring and said, oh, yeah, I'm right. And I said, well, I can't be here anymore because I'm just beyond this. No, I, you know what I did? I didn't, didn't pet it, play with those thoughts. I said, get in Jesus' name. And, you know, he didn't just always get and leave and never come back. He'd come back. i said, get out of here. I know what I'm supposed to do. This is what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to serve. We all should be. If we want to go anywhere, there's substance in that. Amen.